in the history of the earth. And then finally, tonight we're going to look at two more pictures that he uses to summarize the final judgment before the Lord's return. There's the reaping of the earth, and then the uh, vintage is the word that I, we use here. The harvest and the vintage. The harvest and the vintage. So let's look at our passage in Revelation 14, 14, or 14, 14 through 20. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. This angel, uh, another, the un, uh, rather, then the un, another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar. And he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200, roughly 200 miles. Again, this is our passage that we're looking at. Again, there's two glimpses or pictures describing these end times. Tonight, we're going to look at two summary glimpses of the final judgment before the Lord's return. The section can be, or the scene can be broken down into these two parts. Both parts now describing the same events, the final judgment before Christ's return. Each part has different aspects of the final judgment that it brings out and emphasizes. But it's important to note that both of them are talking about judgment. At first glance, when we've heard the whole idea of separating the wheat from the tare and other passages in the Bible, we might have this concept come to our mind that thinks, that thinks, okay, well, this is where God separates the good from the bad. But in actuality, this is all about judgment. From 14 through 20 is two scenes describing the same thing, and that is the final judgment. We'll see this as we go along. The context screams this. The context laid out very clearly before that, talking about uh, the perseverance of the saints, but then before that it says the angels are warning them that the judgment is coming, the judgment's coming, the judgment's coming, right? Well, now the judgment's going to be pictured in two pictures or two scenes. You have the harvest and the vintage. Again, this is just like Jesus did. He would give illustrations or pictures to help bring home the vividness of what he was trying to teach on. This is on judgment. And how is he going to get this across to our minds? He's going to give us two little brief movies or two little brief pictures of what it's like to show you how bad it's going to be. Uh, it would be somewhat like our uh, orthodontist trip today to illustrate, to give you an example of how this illustrates our orthodontist trip today. It was somewhat like a trip down a classified rapid during a drought. You say, what? Well, there's a picture there. There's a scene there. What's the picture? 
a class five, five rapids is what? Really turbulent, right? So when you're just about to get on it, what are you thinking? This is going to be really, really bad. But if it's during a drought, it's like going down a stream. It's not that big of a deal. The reality is, is that that's how it was for our orthodontics appointment. I thought it was going to be really, really bad. And then it was nice. It was gentle, and we found out it wasn't that bad. We weren't going to have to pay a whole bunch of money. It's a perfect picture. It was scary, but it got better, and it was peaceful. God does the same thing. He gives these vivid pictures to try to bring home the concept. By the way, all you preachers in the room, good reason to illustrate. If we just give data, we have to also illustrate. Why? It brings things home to our mind so we understand it. Oh, I get it. That's why we have pictures. God does the same thing. Oh, that was a side note. That wasn't in the text. That would be just a little side note. Let's look. We've got two glimpses, the harvest and the vintage. First, let's look at the harvest, the first glimpse. Notice a couple features of the first glimpse of the final judgment. It's initiated by Christ himself. We see this by... Uh, the description of the one sitting on the cloud. It's a white cloud, probably helping to point to Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Turning your Bibles over to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. More prophecy describing the Messiah coming up to the Ancient of Days, most likely of the Father. And we see in Daniel 7, 13, it says this. I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and kingdom, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." So we most likely have a picture here of the Messiah. Uh, Mark talked about this whole concept of this being most likely Jesus' kingdom that's to come, looking into the future, even way back at Daniel's time. And here we have John recording a picture of a son, a man somewhat like this, just like it. And notice he's sitting on a cloud. Now turn over to another minor prophet, probably a reference here. Also look at Joel chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Joel chapter 3 verses 12 through 15. Against, again, most likely emphasizing the Lord Jesus' status as the ruling judge. Remember, John's writing this 90 AD, 95 AD, after Jesus, 30, 60 years rather, and it's still looking to the future about events that were prophesied back in Daniel and Joel as what? Future. So, it's not Daniel and Joel can't be talking about during Jesus' time. It has to be talking about future, right? Here we go. If Joel and Daniel talk about a kingdom to come, and it was the kingdom that was started here on earth when Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, then why would John, 60 years later, be talking about something in the future that's still referencing Daniel 7 and, and Joel. Ah, that's what that is right there is a great case for premillennialism. That it's a future premillennial reign, if you'll think on this a little bit. If he referenced something in the future, and Jesus has come, died, rose from the dead, and the kingdom's established, 
And it's just a spiritual kingdom, as the amillennialists say. Why is it that John in chapter 95, or in, in 95 AD, after Jesus, 60 years later, is still referencing passages in the Old Testament that are future? Must be future. It's not just the spiritual kingdom. There is a kingdom that will be set up. And the king is sitting on a cloud before his return, preparing the way for this kingdom to come. So we have in Joel 3.12, it says, Let the nation be a, nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. What is this? Talking about judgment before the coming of the Christ. Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord. Uh, emphasis on the judgment day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Probably a reference to the judgment to come. Okay? All this future. Now, John, Jesus is revealing future again. More pictures right here in Revelation chapter 14. So back over to Revelation 14. Like a son of man, a term used in the gospel for Jesus often, right? We know this. In Daniel 7, 13, it referred to him most likely. Golden crown. Golden crown is probably a reference to Jesus' royal status and also his victorious status. That it's done and that he has this golden crown. Jesus did not come the first time to judge, right? But the second time he will come to judge. Here he's sitting on the cloud, referencing that maybe the idea of him sitting in judgment, ready to go, bring about the final judgment before his return. And he has a sharp sickle in his hand. Uh, the picture is one, and, and it's emphatic here, or it, it, it's overemphasized the sharpness of the sickle. It's mentioned three times, this idea of how sharp it is. Now, what is a sickle? Somebody describe a sickle to me. Grim Reaper type of yeah. Long yeah, we've seen the picture of the Grim Reaper with the pole and you got that little thing hanging over. Right. That's one look and one has this half moon looking thing that's really sharp. And, they, and I watched a little bit today of how they were uh, reaping wheat. It's a very destructive process. Even reaching down and they jerk. And when you look, when he pulls it away and lays it down, the ground is flat. There's nothing there. It's completely reaped. And you got the same picture here of Jesus right before his return saying what? A violent act that's going to be destructive, swift, and complete. And he's sitting there ready to bring this about. That's the picture that they have to have in their minds at, to uh, prep them for the return of Christ. And it's for us to think on too that God is swift in his judgment and he is complete in his judgment. Notice also it's part of the sovereign plan of God. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your circle, sickle, for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. What do we have here? We have this concept of what? One messenger telling Jesus time. Why? The Father, in the providential plan of God, ordains the time and, and, and appointed the time and says, okay, now go do it. So we see this judgment comes at the appointed time of God. The angel comes from the midst of the temple. 
dwelling place of God and renders the call for judgment. This does not mean that Jesus was not a part of the first established decrees. He was there. But it means in his role as the Messiah, he is responding to the Father in obedience and carrying out the role. The Father tells the Son when to do it, and he is still obeying, even in his Christhood status here. It's very interesting. Uh, I heard that um, my message on Sunday was a little hard to chew a little bit by some, uh, talking about obedience. Well, I understand it is hard to hear, but Christ obeyed. He, he obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. And he will obey even though he's in glory here at the end time. And he will do when the Father says to do, which is a wild thought. He's God. He's equal with the Father. But yet in the economy of the Trinity, he's still obeying. It's a wild thought. We look at an obedience as something of what? I'm nothing. I'm lesser. To obey is a gift from God. It is a way to worship the Lord. Worship the Father and show that he deserves glory. That's an interesting concept here. And here the Son goes, For the hour has come, as mentioned over and over again in this book, when and how long will God wait? The answer, until God decides it's time. <laughs> and God's got that appointed time. And even in the book of Revelation, over and over and over, even if you are premillennial in your thinking, you still see the sovereignty of God. It's everywhere. God's in control. Trust him. We don't know when. We must just trust him, right? It's interesting, even tonight over at the death, they asked me a question. Uh, why, does the, why did the son, it was a good question, um, why did the son not know the hour or time? If he's omniscient, why didn't he know? He said, only the father knows. Well, that's an interesting concept. And his humanity, to some degree, did he restrict his understanding at that time and did not, I don't know. What, what's your take on that? That was my best take on that, Mark. That's a tough one. <laughs> Ryan, do you want to give a stab at it? Oh, what was that? <laughs> did the son restrict? I'm going to ask the question again because I want to get your answer. <laughs> uh, did the son, the, when the son says, only the Father knows the hour. Well, is the Son I would, omniscient? I, would, I mean, I would, I would be real careful about drawing a dichotomy between the Son and the Father. And I would say if the Father knew practically, he, he knew also because the Son and the Father are one. But, yeah. Um, what did the Son mean when he said that? No man knows. Mm. Okay. So no man knows. In his humanity, did he restrict it? Or? I think he just laid aside the divine pride when he says he emptied himself. And... Yeah, we had a... We had a, no, I mean, it's very interesting because we... Didn't we have a, a, a comment went on somewhere? Somebody sent me an email about this. This is a very difficult issue. Something for us to think on. The reality is this. He obeyed the Father. <laughs> and... It may be the father, I don't know, at that moment in time was not letting him know it, but he did not stop being God. He was still God. So, still on mission. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, hard, but it's the reality. Here we have the father appointed the time, and therefore he responds. The earth is ripe. Notice also that God's timing is perfect. 
God works and acts what when the earth is ripe. The time ripe. The time was uh, for it was ready for purging of evil. The world had reached its maximum uh, 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 maximum evil. Ugh, I don't know. The reality is, is it's the most wicked time on all the earth. It's ripe. It's ready for God to say, "That's it. Let's get rid of all evil out of this world." Okay. The final judgment will not be limited to Jesus' work only. As we'll see there's in the next glimpse, we have more angels that come. Uh, we have a little problem picturing this because in the first century world, this imagery wouldn't be as understood. We've never seen this uh, sickle concept, but the more you just think on it, you'll get the idea. Uh, the blade and the stick would be able to clear and slice an area real quick. Third, notice it's swift and complete. That's the whole concept that summarizes it. It is swift and complete. That's the emphasis of the picture. The sickle was an object that could accomplish, especially when it was sharp, a lot real quick because it was sharp. The final judgment will be the same. No one who is on earth who is sinful will remain. Did you get that? At the end of the tribulation period, no one who is evil will remain to go into the millennium. We won't go into all the uh, questions that might come from that because there are many, aren't there? Uh, is all evil gone during the Millennium Kingdom? No. No. Why? Because there's a second rise at the end of it, right? So there's evil. Hmm. Well, there's no evil as it goes in without a regenerate heart going into the Millennium Kingdom. I would say that. Okay. Anybody that's unregenerate is swiftly and completely reaped off the earth. No one goes into the new kingdom without an unregenerate heart. That's the best that I can do with that. The vintage is next and last. And let's just look at them briefly. The emphasis is on... <laughs> no, I look at that time. I'm hissing at the time. The emphasis is on the overwhelming nature of the judgment. And this is the appointed time, so I need to just keep, mean, uh, keep going, right? The emphasis on the overwhelming nature of the judgment is seen in the next one. The time the work is performed by the angel. He's also got the sharp sickle. And here it's used with grapes and fruit. Again, the swiftness is still there, but there's the addition of fire. And again, why I think this is not talking about the good, the fruit, is because of the judgment that happens and the way it's described at the end. Notice in verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth. Now, if you stopped right there, you might say fruit. It's good, right? These are the good people that God takes out of the earth. But notice how it's described. And threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Oop, that's not us. <laughs> that wouldn't be the good people because they don't get what? The wrath of God. This is talking about the evil being sickled again. So both places it has this concept of God's judgment. And after all, you saw the three angels. The angels were saying what? It's coming. It's coming. Repent. Don't do the mark of the beast. The blood is going to be bad. The fire, remember fire and brimstone from the third angel. And here we have fire. We have a sickle. We have the great wine press of God. It's an overwhelming nature of the judgment that's seen in this picture. And then the second, the harshness of the judgment. The imagery is overemphasized. 
they'll trod under the wine press or a trod or trodden outside the city that is trampled underfoot that's how you would get the the juice out of the grape right the way it would happen is is you'd have this wine press and it would squish it it would pulter, pulverize it to the place of what nothing's left all that came out of it was juice right it's this vivid picture of a very horrific time it is worse than we can imagine and yet he gives these two pictures for the reader to go it's going to be bad it's going to be really bad and that's what this picture is and it's very interesting in verse 20 i I do have a question for you when you look at this verse 20 it says and we'll close with this and the wine press was trodden outside the city now what comes out of a wine press Juice. What came out of this wine press? And blood came out of the wine press. Now wait a second. What's happened here? You got wine, you got juice rather, you got grape juice, right? And now you got blood coming out. It appears to me that he stops the metaphor, changes it to bring out even more vividness. And it could be argued that at this point he becomes more literal. Do you understand? Do you see how he's taking it? And and I've done this before in my illustrations. I've been talking about an illustration and I go right on into application or right on into explanation when I was in my illustration. It's almost like he stops the illustration right in midstream to say, and it's going to be about blood. And it's going to be so bad in that area where God sickles that blood's going to be everywhere. Now, the death says 200 miles, roughly, of blood. That's crazy. That's a lot of blood. Up to the horse's bridle, that's a lot of blood, isn't it? What is this? It brings vividness. Now, what do we do with all this? We don't know when it's going to happen, do you? I don't. What should it be telling you? What's, why is a reader in John's day going to be infected by this? What's it going to do to him? Well, here's what it should do. It should remind us of two things. And we'll close with this. One, God takes sin seriously. He takes it seriously. He hates sin. And one day, he's going to judge sin bad. Worse than we can imagine. It's going to be the worst, most horrific time ever the earth has ever faced. He takes sin seriously. And second, it should remind us of the cross. You say, why does this remind me of the cross? Because it's at that place that the Son of God took the wrath of God, the same kind of wrath, for me when he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me to some extent he was experiencing the wrath of God for our sin if this is how bad wrath is and the son took it for me and you we have a reason to be thankful we're not going to face this judgment 
we have a Savior that loves us, that endured the cross for us. That's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Christ, our sacrifice, our Savior, the one who took the judgment that one day will be poured out on those who do not believe. Oh God, please help us to be mindful of our sinfulness, recognizing who you are, that you are a holy and just God, and also remembering what it cost your son. No, Lord, help us to proclaim this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, warning them of your judgment to come. We pray this in Christ's name.